that might work. Anyway, who knows? So, uh, yeah, you were probably afraid that when I said endorse for president, oh, no, not one of those. Actually, my first endorsement would be Jesus for president, but until he's back here, we may have to settle for Peyton Manning. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's, let me pray, and then we're going to look into God's word this morning. God, we, uh, we do believe that apart from you opening the eyes of our hearts, that we are hopeless in navigating life, and especially navigating toward the life that we all know we're meant to have. Because you said you came to give us abundant life, and an irrational, otherworldly peace, and a sense of your presence and guidance that would defy any kind of physical reality. So we know that we need the eyes of our hearts open, not just to understand your word, but we want to understand you. We want to see you. We want to understand what you're doing in our lives and around our lives in very practical, everyday kind of ways. So, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you open uh, the ears of our hearts? Because we want to see what you're showing us and hear uh, what you're saying to us. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Topic for the day is controversial people. All right, controversial people. And actually, it's interesting, Wikipedia, which is the online encyclopedia for every, every man kind of thing, they did, uh, somebody did a study of the Wikipedia, artic- Wikipedia articles that have been the most edited since Wikipedia started in 2001. Because their assumption is, since there's all these different edits by average ordinary people, that must mean those people are controversial because somebody wants to make them sound good, somebody else wants to change it, and Wikipedia has this commitment to be neutral. So somebody studied all the Wiki- Wikipedia articles about people. They figured out there was like a top, anybody that had over 10,000 edits, they're assuming those people are controversial. Controver- controversial meaning there's this prolonged public disagreement in a heated discussion about who that person is, all right? So they did, uh, I think they found like there were over 130 that had 10,000 edits. But we're just going to look at the top 10. Top 10, according to Wikipedia, most controversial people that were, you know, somebody writes, oh, he's a good person, somebody else edits, no, they're a jerk, and then the neutral Wikipedia people have to figure out how to say that, right? Anybody here ever added on to Wikipedia? Okay, maybe on your own biography, maybe, maybe. All right, number 10, most controversial person according to uh, Wikipedia, Beyonce. After last Sunday, maybe she's higher. Who knows? All right, number nine, most controversial, Kane, uh, wrestler. I have no idea who this guy is. 13% of the most controversial people are pro wrestlers. Figure that one out about our culture. Number eight, most edited article, Roger Federer, uh, tennis player, kind of hostile, right? Number seven. Number seven, number seven, number seven, The Undertaker, another wrestler, (laughs) all right? So they must have very devoted fans who have disagreements about how to write about their lives. Number six, Britney Spears. Number five, Adolf Hitler. All right, stop right there now. Just, I mean, here's some names of who do you think else might be in the top four. Okay, Jesus. Okay, that's always the right answer in church. Jesus, you know. (laughs) Who founded America? Jesus. Who? Michael Jackson, okay, who else? Donald Trump, okay, let's go. Number four, Barack Obama. Number three, there Jesus shows up. Number two, Michael Jackson. Don't put number one yet. Anybody have any idea who the most edited 
article about their biography. I mean, this one, and, and this person exceeds everybody else abundantly. All right, go ahead and put it up there. George W. Bush. All right. Donald Trump is 127th on the list. Um, he may move up. Who knows? Uh, wrestlers make up 13%. Athletes, 13%. Muhammad, the Muslim prophet, is number 11 on the list. Elvis is number 16. All right. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, if this list, if Wikipedia would have been around 100 years ago, there's only one name on that list that probably would have been there, which would be number three. If Wikipedia is around, which I'm sure it will be in some ancient form 100 years from now, I'm guessing the only name on that top ten list is going to be number three. I mean, 100 years from now, they'll be like, who is Bianca? Beyonce? Who is that? Who, you know, who are these people? Right? But it's interesting controversial people because they're controversial because we have different opinions about some people really like them some people really don't like them but jesus we don't often think of jesus being a controversial figure heated debate discussion i mean to some degree you bring up jesus or religion and even a conversation with friends or family you're bound to get strong opinions especially about religion but when you even throw out the when you throw out the name jesus in a conversation, it immediately gets a little awkward, unless you're with l very like-minded people. It's easy to talk about God, Christianity, religion. You start talking about Jesus, and people get a little bit uncomfortable. And you maybe you've had that experience. I mean, people that aren't necessarily church people. But we often, you know, Jesus today in our culture is, you know, he's like people. People want to say he's the, you know, ultimate tolerant person. He's loving person. He's a great leader, great moral teacher. But he was incredibly, and still is, but in his day, he was incredibly controversial. On the Wikipedia of his day, if there would have been one, they would have been writing on their, etching on their skulls. Jesus was by far and away the most controversial because there was heated debate and discussion among his peers and contemporaries. And so what we're going to, and so we've been doing a series, started a few weeks ago on seeing Jesus, and we're using the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark is the second of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by people by that name. Quick aside here, if you're not in a habit regularly of reading the Bible, and sometimes you get, people get stuck, like, well, I don't know where to start, and big plan, I have to, I'm just, let me just encourage you, even start tomorrow or today, just take the, take the Gospel of Mark and just start reading through it. Read a chapter a day, read a chapter a day until Easter. You may, go through, you may go through Mark a couple times. You may skip a day. I don't care. But just read the Gospel of Mark. Read the life of, the, of Jesus. And put yourself maybe even into some of the, not, I don't mean in a weird kind of way, but put yourself into the story. I was reading this, this actually this week, I was, or two weeks ago, I was reading a book written by a, a Catholic priest that I really liked his writing. And he said one of the practices of a certain order of Catholic priests is, they, 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 they read a passage of scripture and they try to just stop and think about what would it be like if they would have been in that situation. What would they be thinking and feeling and wondering about? But I'm just going to encourage you, just uh, pick up the Bible even today. Just There's 16 chapters in Mark. Between now and Easter, there's 30, I don't know, 34, 35, 36 days. You may go through Mark a couple times, but just read it and just ask Jesus for fresh eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. I um, just encourage you to do that. But we've been doing this, the Gospel of Mark, 
And I put down here about Jesus. He's controversially supernatural, but he's incredibly kind. And this, he stands out. I mean, you can't say that about anybody else in the, on the controversial list of Wikipedia. Controversial, supernatural, incredibly kind. And I said before, the Gospel of Mark was written by, it's actually we, we often referred to as John Mark. He was, a, he was a friend, a traveling partner of Peter. Peter was someone who actually was around when Jesus did his ministry. So Mark traveled around with Peter, and for 30 years, he would have heard a lot of Peter's stories about Jesus. So 30 years or so after Jesus died, a lot of the disciples were dying off. Most of them were being martyred, killed because they followed Jesus. So Peter, or John Mark was encouraged by Christians in Rome, hey, can you write down those stories? Because we, we want to remember what happened. We, can you write down the stories about Jesus? So the Gospel of Mark was then John Mark wrote down, in those days history was passed on orally, oral history, but we believe the Holy Spirit preserves accuracy, and even 30 years after the fact, if he would have written something that was blatantly false, there were enough contemporaries that would have called him on it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have uh, survived history. It's kind of like today, if people started writing... Um, so John Mark wrote these things down. He wrote down this account, and he wrote it intentionally. The first audience would be Christians in the city of Rome in about 65, 66 A.D., so 30 years or so after Jesus' time. And the Christians in Rome were going through a time of questioning because they saw some other Christians being killed and martyred, and so the, they, were, they were being referred to as kind of socially weird. The Christians were weird. They weren't, they weren't worshiping the pagan gods. They weren't kind of fitting into Roman culture. So they were feeling this pressure of, well, what? remind us who Jesus was and what he said. Because if we follow Jesus, we want to know we're following the right Jesus and the accurate Jesus. And we don't want to just meld him in with the other Roman pagan gods. Because life is hard enough, and you and I would both all agree with that, life is hard enough as a follower of Jesus in this culture. And it's true in any culture. So... Let's, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at Mark chapter 2, and in Mark chapter 2, go to the next slide here, it's where Jesus, is, the whole chapter is controversial. Mark chapter 1, which we did a couple weeks ago, just introduces Jesus as he's a healer, he touches lepers, he preaches in the countryside, probably stops at Starbucks and talks to people, I don't know. He, he, Mark chapter 1, Jesus has this strong proclamation of his message, but at that point he's well-loved and warm and likable and would be very popular, right? Mark chapter 2, Mark starts recording some things where controversy uh, emerges. And it's, it's thought that Mark wasn't necessarily writing chronologically, but he was putting these events together for a reason. Because we're going to look at four, four brief scenes in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus is pretty controversial. And then we've got to ask the question, okay, so what? What do we do with that, right? So... Um, there are four different scenes in Mark chapter 2, and in all four scenes, the Pharisees, who were the religious elite of that day, they got ticked off. because, And they're, they're writing all over Jesus' Wikipedia page. He's a rebel. He's a blasphemer. But every, every one of the stories has a question that they ask about Jesus. And they're, they're, they're trying to figure out why is he doing this. And they're not asking like they want to learn. 
they're asking me in a sense of controversy. It's kind of like you might say, why does Donald Trump have to do that? Or why does Barack Obama have to do that? It's a question, but it's a question birthed out of strong disagreement. All right. So look at those four questions. I'll tell you the scene of what was happening. Then we'll kind of figure out, okay, what do we do with that? All right. First one is this. In Mark chapter 2, verse 7, the Pharisees say, what about Jesus? What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. All right, so we'll back up in the story. It's kind of one of those movies that goes, you know, backwards. So Jesus is in somebody's house. He's teaching. It's crowded. All of a sudden, there's some noise, and the thatched roof has a hole in it, and all of a sudden, this lame man is being lowered down into the house in front of Jesus. His friends did that because they knew they wanted to get in close to Jesus. They had heard of Jesus' healing stories. So this crowded, probably hot, smelly house, all of a sudden this lame man comes down and right in front of Jesus. And again, there's a crowd there of admirers of Jesus, but there's also the crowd of the Pharisees, the religious leaders who thought they had life figured out, right? And the man's laying in front of Jesus, and I won't read the text. You can read Mark chapter 2, but Jesus says to the man, Obviously, his, his need is what, by the way? His need is he's paralyzed. So first, Jesus is healed. He can't do something. The first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And it says, the Pharisees were thinking this question. It doesn't say they say it, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus wasn't stupid. And they're like, wait a minute. What did Jesus just say? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, okay, if that's what you're thinking, what's harder to do? For me to tell this man his sins are forgiven or for me to tell him, arise, take up your mat and walk? So he says to the man, okay, get up and walk. This man stood up and the people were amazed at him. So this very first controversy is because the, the Pharisees are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. What you just said, Jesus, is only something God can say. And Jesus says, exactly. And he says, if you want to know that the Son of Man, that's what he called himself, has the authority to forgive sins. All right, now right away, and this is where, you know, I, I told you about a conversation I had with a friend of mine recently, and I've had conversations with people that are Muslim, and they'll say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And there's never a place where Jesus says, comma, quote, 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 I am God, end quote. But this particular passage, the Pharisees knew, and so did everybody else, they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. Because he says, I have the authority. The Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. So he's saying, I'm God. I have the same authority as God. Because, you know, you can say you forgive somebody. It's like, you know, if you owe, if you owe a bank money for a car loan, I can tell you your loan is forgiven, but I don't have the authority to do that. Only the bank can forgive me. So for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven, he's saying I, I'm part of ownership here. I can forgive sins. So right away the Pharisees are starting to get stirred up. And again, the Christians in Rome who are reading this are reminded, yeah, Jesus is the mediator. He's saying God. He does claim to be God. He's not just claiming to be a good, kind of a good, nice person. So that's the first story. The first controversial story is he forgives sins, and then, of course, he heals somebody, supernatural. 
And the Pharisees are ticked off because he's claiming to be something they think is absolutely impossible, blasphemy. And like I said, and I'm trying to be harsh, but you talk to a lot of other world religions, people you may know, whether they're Jewish or Muslim or whatever, they might say that to say that is blasphemy, that Je- there's no way Jesus could be God. But the Bible, if, if we un- as we understand the Bible and we believe it was transmitted to us correctly, Jesus makes that claim. Right? Next part of Mark chapter 2. I love this quote. I, I don't like it, but I love it. The Pharisees say to Jesus about to his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And the Greek word there really could be translated scum or disreputable people. It's like a, it's a term of disgust. So what's the situation here? Okay, here's the situation here. Jesus is going down the road. There's a man named Matthew, also called Levi, in a tax collector's booth. Right, so think like a toll booth. If you ever drive in Chicago area or toll booth. So in those days, Rome occupied Israel, and it, they collected taxes like all over the place. They were getting your, they were in your pocket all the time. And even on certain roads, as you passed down certain roads, you had to pay a toll just to walk on the road. So Matthew was a toll collector for the Roman government, but Matthew was a Jew. So if you're a Jew. And you know other Jews are working for the Romans? I mean, those tax collectors, man, they were despised. They were not allowed to uh, uh, be a witness in court. They were not allowed to go in the synagogue. They were considered dirt by other Jews. Because you're, you're basically working for the enemy, and they also, the, the, the tax collectors would also kind of cheat on the rates. There was no accountability. So they would rip people off because they had the authority collect taxes and just kind of get a little off on the side. So it says Jesus calls Matthew and says, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. So you can imagine the Pharisees are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Not him. He's a tax collector. And then it said Levi, Matthew, had a party at his house with other tax collectors and get this, prostitutes. That's the kind of people tax collectors hung around with. And Jesus went to the party. The Pharisees are like blowing up. And that's when they say, why is he eating with such scum? Why is he with those tax collectors? They're disgusted with Jesus because he's spending time with people they consider dirty, unworthy of his time. Because they're not, they're bad people. They're the reason the world's going bad. And then Jesus says to them, he says, you know, he says to the Pharisees, I'm not, I didn't come for the people that are think uh, they're healthy. A doctor comes to help those who know they're sick. So Jesus is claiming to be, in a sense, a, a, a doctor of the soul. I came to help heal people's souls. And you Pharisees, you think you're okay. He wasn't saying they were okay. He was saying, you don't even think you have sick souls, but you do. You have sick, self-centered, arrogant souls. Jesus, I didn't come. I came for people who know they're broken. That gives me quite a bit of encouragement. Jesus comes for those of us who know we're broken. And if he came and he said he came for those people on the lowest of the rungs, prostitutes, tax collectors, then I think we're all we're all included amongst the people Jesus came for. Nothing you've done, nothing you've done has put you outside of the reach of Jesus. Nothing. I don't care how bad your past is. I don't care how bad your present is. 
nothing you've done puts you outside of the reach of God. Because he is a doctor, he says, to sick folks. So he's also, he's, so not only does he have the authority to forgive sins, he's God, but his religion, his, what he's bringing in is not just for the good people and the socially acceptable people and upper middle class people. It's for everybody, especially the broken people. That's what Jesus, and so there's t- the, the, the Pharisees, they're getting mad. I mean, they don't, you don't call people scum unless you have extreme disgust for them. So they, their disgust then goes to Jesus. Next, the third of the four stories of uh, controversy. The Pharisees say to Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Like, why aren't you, why aren't you doing the right thing? Fasting is when you voluntarily abstain from food or, and or drink for some period of time. As a Jew, you're only required to fast one day a year. The sense was you're fasting because you're wanting to hear God and be close to God. The Pharisees had turned it into this religious ritual that every Monday and Thursday they would fast. And everybody knew about it. So they were like, everybody knew they were fasting because they wanted, it was all about image management. They wanted people to know how spiritual they were. Right? They were so much into being held in esteem. And so, and Jesus' disciples didn't fast. They didn't follow this Monday-Thursday regimen. And the Pharisees are like, wait a minute, this regimen, and, and Monday-Thursday regimen was not established by God. That was established by people. Probably had a good intention at the beginning, but then it became this ritual, you have to do this if you want to be a spiritual person. Jesus' disciples didn't do it, so the Pharisees are like, why don't your disciples fast? And again, I said fasting, the purpose of fasting, even today, if you fast at home church or if you come for class, it's to hear God. It's not to earn points. You don't earn points with fasting by hearing God. God wants to hear your story. And Jesus says to them, as long as the groom is here, of course the disciples aren't going to fast. But when the groom is gone, he's calling himself the groom, and I'll explain that in a second. But when the groom is gone, then they'll fast. His point is, as long as I'm here and they can hear my voice directly, if fast purposes of fasting is to hear from God, they don't need to fast because I'm right here. When, when I leave, they'll fast. But the whole point, Jesus said, I'm the groom. I'm the one who, I'm, I am the, I'm the center of things. When you fast, you're fasting to hear God. When you're fast, Jesus says, you're fasting to hear me. And again, the Pharisees did not like the freedom that Jesus was taking because it wasn't fitting into their system. And they're getting angry. The fourth of the controversial things, they say to Jesus, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? So, the Sabbath, which was Jewish Sabbath, was Saturday. It's the day of rest that God had or ordained way back in the book of Genesis. And, it, and God, had wanted, God wants his people to rest, to abstain from labor. But so what, what God's law, which is always good and for us, uh, what turns into when people get a hold of God's laws and turn into man's laws, and they, the Pharisees had like, I don't know, 600 or so laws of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. Like if if your animal fell into a ditch and needed to be saved, you could save the animal, 
but you couldn't do other things. It was all these rules of what you could do and couldn't do. And if water dropped off the roof, you could catch it in a bucket. But if you went to get it out of the river, you were working and you couldn't do it. There's all kinds of weird rules. But one of the rules was you can't harvest. You can't go out in your field and harvest. And so they're not, the disciples are walking through the field and they're hungry. They're breaking up these pieces of grain. And the rules of the Pharisees say it's not the, it's not the breaking of the grain that was the rule breaking. It's when they ground it up to eat it. Then they're working by doing this. And they're violating God's law because they're working. And you can see how silly sometimes the laws would, be get, would, would start to get. And they're again like their Pharisees are throwing their penalty flag. <laughs> they're doing it again, Jesus. You're violating the rules that we've set for proper religion. Because again, the Pharisees were all about image, not integrity. And I and I've said before, we can all we all can fall into that. We all can want to become super religious to other people. And Jesus just said, and I he told him a story from the Old Testament, and then David did the same thing. And then Jesus calls himself and says, but I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people. But Jesus again claims, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the same God you guys talk about in the Old Testament. That's me. So Jesus is making these radical claims. Now let me just say a side thing about, about kind of religious rules. Because Jesus has this scandalous freedom that blows people away. But let me give you an, an, an example just to kind of understand what the freedom is Jesus gives. So when I was growing up, I went to a church that believed dancing was like sinful. All right? Wrong. Like, really wrong. So when we had the high school prom, our youth group would schedule a banquet that same night so you would not go to the prom. And I grew up with the perception that anybody that went to the prom should have their spirituality questioned. Because why in the world would anybody want to dance? Because that's like of the devil. So there's a couple different reactions you can have to the freedom that Jesus gives. On one side, you can say, oh, yeah, Jesus didn't care about what anybody thought. You know, he gave his middle finger to the world. He does what he wants to do. That's not the freedom Jesus is, ha is having. Jesus has the freedom to obey the laws of God. So somebody could say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go to dance. I'm going to dance all I want to. And if I want to do dirty dancing and dancing that becomes lustful dancing, I can do what I want to do. That's not the freedom Jesus is having. The flip side, though, is those of us, and I grew up in this culture, where we're like, well, maybe dancing isn't wrong, but I don't want to be perceived as being bad. So for my, because my fear of the opinions of others, I'm going to stay away from that. That's an equally wrong response to a religious rule as somebody who says, oh, I can do whatever I want to. Jesus had a scandalous freedom. He was free to obey the law of God, but free to disregard the opinions of people. And I, let, me, let me just say, and I think we can all agree, disregarding the opinions of people is a big, big, courageous thing to do. Because we all care about what people think about us. We care about what people think about us who are Christians, if you're a Christian. We want to be perceived as spiritual. And Jesus doesn't care about his reputation. He cares about his heart and his holiness to God. He doesn't care about his reputation. So again, Jesus is just, he's con continuing to kind of be controversial. Because he, he's talking about a kind of holiness that has nothing to do with behavior and image. And there's times where I'm 
sure. Maybe not. Maybe not you. There's times where I know I've done things that I want to be perceived as being spiritual. That's why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it necessarily because my heart is sort of hot for God. It's because I know people that think highly of me. But Jesus didn't care about whether he was fitting into the system in that sense. Because he was more concerned that people get connected with God than people fall into a system. So at this point, and I'll and wrap it up, go to the next phrase. So this, this last one, this is the overarching sermon of Jesus. This phrase appears in Mark chapter 1. But it appears all over the, the New Testament. So Jesus said the kingdom of God is near, which means life with God is now possible for people like you. And this is what he proceeded to do. He said the kingdom of God is near. He calls ordinary people. He teaches with authority. He delivers people from Satan's power. He heals physical sickness. He touches the untouchables. And then in this chapter, he offers authoritative forgiveness. He socializes with scum. And he offends religious people. So if Jesus wants us to be people of the kingdom of God, then it seems like if that's what the kingdom is like, that's what we're to be like. Again, I'm not saying we should, you know, stick our middle finger in the face of religion and say we're going to do it this way. But we do, you do it the way to whatever God tells you to do it. I'll even say this. If you feel like, and I, I'm not saying this is always right, somebody might, somebody might say, well, I don't, I'm not getting anything out of going to church. Stop going. If you think stop going to church is going to help you get closer to God, and in some cases it might, stop going. Don't make yourself a slave to a behavior if the behavior you think is actually gaining away. Now, I, I would say in, in the long term, being a part of a community of people who love and follow Jesus, the Bible tells you is an essential part of your growth spiritually. But if it's not doing anything for you, stop going. Don't be a slave to the opinions of other people. Don't be a slave to the patterns that have been established. Be a slave to your heart being connected to God and the laws of God, which will always connect you back to God somehow. But don't be somebody who just does things because you want to impress other people. So in the, in the midst of all this, when Jesus does all this, and of course this controversy is what leads towards the cross. People didn't kill Jesus because he was too nice. They didn't kill people. They didn't kill Jesus because he healed too many people. They didn't kill Jesus because he was just too kind to babies and needy lambs. They killed him because he was going against the culture that they wanted. And I, I don't know all of your lives. I don't know what your struggles are. But my guess is every one of us trying to figure out how do we live according to Jesus when the culture is kind of coming this way. How do you swim that way when the stream is coming this way? And the Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago were having the same struggles. But then you have to come end up with the, the, the final question there is, okay, either Jesus is who he says he is, Lord of the Sabbath, God who forgives sins, a doctor who heals souls, and the groom to a bride. Either Jesus is that person, unique, or he's not. So either he's telling the truth about himself or he's arrogant, misguided, or maybe a little bit mentally unstable. And, and you might ask, him, well, what? Well, no, but if, if that's who he is, then you have to decide, is he, worth, is, he, is he trustworthy? Because if he's telling the truth, then I need to follow this guy. If he's telling the truth, 
that everything he says is true. Every promise he's made to you is true. And so Jesus is saying that to people in Rome who are struggling. He's saying that to people in Bloomington, Indiana in 2016 who may be struggling with, well, yeah, Jesus this, Jesus that. But if he is who he says he is, and he has the authority to forgive sins, and he loves you like a groom loves a bride, and he heals your soul like a doctor heals bodies, and he's Lord over all the laws of the Bible in in order to bring you rest, if that's who he says he is, then why not follow him? Why not trust him even when times are hard? And I'm assuming that's what Mark, when Mark writes this to the Christians in Rome and Christians throughout the centuries, have understood that if we follow Jesus, it's like he is who he says he is. He loves us unconditionally, and he has power and authority, and he will lead us to the kind of life we want, full of goodness and hope and peace and joy and purpose. That's who we follow. That's why we do what we do. Now, and I'll, I'll close with this. Just in the last in the last few days, I was actually relating to my wife that I've had kids. There's times I feel a little bit, uh, there's times lately I feel a little bit hopeless. You know, like, you know, I'm 64 years old. I'm not hopeless because I'm old. I'm not in for my lifetime. Maybe I am. But it's like, I want to see God work mightily in my life and in this church and in Bloomington. And sometimes it's like, okay, God, why aren't you doing this? I, I think where I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing and I believe and I trust and I obey and I'm waiting for the fireworks to happen and but I always go back to the sense of no but I, I trust God his timing is good his power is complete his authority is is established and whatever he says is what I'll do whatever he whatever he wants us to do is what we'll do and so you Maybe you're not, maybe you don't battle with those kind of things, but there's times where I think, okay, and I'll go through all the Christian stuff again, but I don't know if it'll make any difference. And I'm saying that not, I don't really believe that, but that sometimes those thoughts kind of swim in my head, kind of like, ah, what difference does it make? But then when I come back to the truth of who Jesus is and how he loves us and he's the Lord of forgiveness, then I remind myself, you know what? I'm going to trust wherever he leads me. See, part of the problem with the Pharisees was Jesus didn't meet their expectations. And my guess is if you have or ever will walk away from Christianity, it's because Jesus isn't meeting your expectations. But make sure your expectations are shaped by what the Bible, who Jesus says he is. Because if you expect Jesus to be Santa Claus or candy machine, I put my quarter in, I want something out, that's not God, that's not Jesus. Jesus will lead you down the path of peace and courage and joy and hope. And so if you're like me and you're kind of wrestling with an expectation of what Jesus is supposed to be like and your reality is over here and you're trying to figure out where the difference is, that's okay that you might feel that, but then you always got to go back to, but I know what's true about Jesus. I can trust him. I can trust him. So let me, I'll pray and then we'll close. Jesus, we start off the service by thanking you, thanking God that you are near us. And we believe you are near, and we believe you're here, and I believe even you're speaking to individuals right now. And so, um, Jesus, thank you 
that you're powerful. Thank you that you're able to forgive us. Thank you that you love us. And Lord, pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, all of us, so we could see who you really are and trust you, no matter where you lead us, knowing that you lead us to life. And uh, so that those who may be wrestling with that or struggling with that or wondering, feeling like their life is upside down, God, would you open the eyes of their hearts so they can see Jesus clearly? We all want to see Jesus clearly. We don't want to do this religious thing. We don't want to be on a treadmill. We don't want to just kind of stay in line with what we're supposed to do. We, we want to follow Jesus and what he teaches. So Jesus, open the eyes of our hearts and um, let us see you. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Uh, we finished every.